0: Friends, if you've got your Bibles, let's go. Pull them up. Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we're beginning a new series, a short series in Psalm 34. Um, and in the blue Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue one underneath the seat you're sitting in. It's on page 512. 512 in the blue Bible. You can pull that out. Psalm 34. Um, and here's what we're going to do. A little bit different than normal. Um We're a little bit different than normal. We're going to spend the first half, maybe a little bit more than half, of our time uh, walking through the first three verses of Psalm 34. Then we're going to move into a time where we kind of just get into a little bit of uh, family business, a little, little church business. We're going to spend the back half of this time talking about two new ministry initiatives, kind of a, a big shift happening kind of at the core of Flourishing Grace. And uh, our, our theology is not changing. Our doctrines not changing. Our, our mission of leading people into flourishing relationships with Jesus is not changing. But how we go about doing that, we're making some big shifts, and we want to. We think it's valuable enough and, and important enough to spend some time in this gathering talking about that. And so, if if you feel like I'm rushing through Psalm 34 this morning, you're right because I only have a little bit of time to do this. And so, buckle up, Buttercup. Let's do this. Psalm 34. If you would, if you're able, we believe that that this is the word of God. He's given it to us. It's a gift from His hands, and an honor and reverence to it. If you're able, would you stand with me as I read it for it? Read it for us this morning. First three verses, Psalm 34. David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. All right. All right. As I said, this is a psalm of David, and it's a psalm that is attributed to a time in David's life where he is on the run from King Saul, which is True for, for most of his life, if you've read First uh, and Second Samuel, the, kind of the life of, of David is, is kind of there in first Samuel, where he is, he's on the rain, on the run from King Saul. He's on the run from King Saul, and King Saul um, has been removed as king by God, and David has been anointed as king by God, but Saul has refused. Uh, to relinquish his throne. He says, I'm not, not stepping off the throne. In fact, I'm going I'm to kill David, and then I don't have to worry about it. Right? And so he is on the hunt for David. David is on the run for his life, running from Saul, and he's been hiding out in the wilderness uh, trying to evade Saul. But then he ends up getting captured, not by Saul, but by the Philistines. And if there's anybody who hates David as much as Saul, it's the Philistine king. The Philistine king, uh, David has made a mockery of the Philistines, right? He's defeated Goliath. He's defeated the Philistine army. They've, they've, they've run. They've fled from him. David is kind of this symbol of Israel's might and power over the Philistines. They're afraid of him. And now they got him, baby, right? They've got David. And they're bringing him in before the king. And in, in the last kind of moment, David comes up with this brilliant idea. He fakes insanity, He's brought him before the Philistine king, and he's like drooling all over himself. He's disheveled. He's grunting and growling and like scratching around. And, in, uh, and the Philistine king is just like, "Ugh! Like what? What is this? Like well, this is not David. This is not the mighty warrior. What have you? What have you brought into my throne? Like what is wrong with you? Why would you do this? And get him out of my presence." And so they throw David out, and he flees and he runs and he escapes to this cave where he's hiding out. And in that moment, for you and I, for me for sure, I know that if, if I were David, like your adrenaline is just through the roof. And in that moment, kind of the natural thing to think and to say and do is, holy smokes, I just pulled that off. Like, can you believe? Like, how, how unbelievably creative was that? Like, how smart am I? How cunning am I? My acting skills are like, like legit shit. I should, be, I should be in Hollywood. Like, that was so good. I'm so smart. I'm so wise. I'm so everything. Like, but David doesn't do any of that. Instead, David realizes in this moment, in the cave, as the adrenaline begins to wear off, that that was a God-only moment. Only God could have done that. There's no way, there's no way that I escape the sudden and sure death that, that was that was in before the Philistine king. There's no way, there's no way that I escape that. There's no way I even come up with that idea on my own. I'm not that smart. God gave me that idea. And even, even in the idea, the idea it shouldn't have worked. They should have killed me anyways. I was in the throne room of the king, an insane man. They should have just killed me right there, but it didn't happen. God gave me favor before the Philistine king. God has delivered me from this. And what happens in Psalm 34, what we see... Where this is kind of playing out is this erupts. David begins to just praise God, and he, and he kind of falls into this cycle of praise. Out of the joy of God moving in his life, he pours forth into praise. And then the, as he praises God for all of these things, right, God, God increases his joy all the more, and as his joy increases all the more, he begins to praise God all the more. And as he praises God all the more, he enjoys God all the more. And as he enjoys God all the more, he praises God all the more. And it kind of creates this cycle of praise, and he invites his. Friends and his family, He's like you've got to come experience this, it's amazing. And this is what we see taking place, this is what's being recorded in Psalm 34. And so, the question that we find ourselves with is man, how do we find this level of praise? How do we find this level of human flourishing, this level of joy and delight? How do we find that? If our mission as a church is to lead people into flourishing relationship with Jesus, then how do I live out that level, that relationship like David had with God? And how do I help others do the same? How do we do this? First thing we see, number one, is that the heart of true human flourishing is the praise of God. God. At the heart of true human flourishing is the praise of God. Verse 1, David says this. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. All the time, continually, I will praise the Lord. David has found the secret to a life filled with incredible joy. And the secret is constant, continuous praise. We're going to talk more about that. But that is the secret, constant, continuous praise. He has found his meaning and his purpose in life, the never-ceasing praise of God. In the 1600s, the Church of England is trying to unite with the Church of Scotland. And then there's disagreements between the people and there's uncertainty around doctrine and theology that they believe. And so what they do is the leaders of these two churches, they get into a room and they sit down and with all of their doctrine and all of their philosophy and all of their theology and say, what do we agree on? What do we believe is true? And they come out of that room with what's known as the Westminster Catechism. And the Westminster Catechism is this series of questions and answers. Here's the theological question or doctrinal question or philosophical question. And here's the answer. And it was meant to be memorized by the people, by the church, so that the church would then be united in all of their doctrine and all of their theology and all of their philosophy. the Church of England and the Church of Scotland would be united in all of those things. And they created the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is for the kids to memorize. And if the adults in the room actually read the Shorter Catechism, you'd be like, wait, kids memorized this? Yes, they did. They were a different breed back then, okay? Scottish kids, okay? The Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with this question. Famously, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? What is, what is the, your purpose? What is your meaning for existence? Like, why were you created? What, what, is, what is at the core? What is at the center? What is Why do you exist? What is your chief end? What were you created for? And the answer, famously, is this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify and enjoy forever. Praising God is the highest calling of humanity. It is what you were created for. And in order to do that, you must, by nature, enjoy Him. In order to... In order to praise God, you must enjoy God because you praise what you enjoy and you enjoy what you praise. Let me say that again. You praise what you enjoy and you enjoy what you praise. Think about it for just a second. It doesn't take much thought to get there, right? The NFL is starting right now. And there are a myriad of men, not in this room because they're at home watching the game, but there are a myriad of men, right, who, who are praising their favorite team. And they're, they're because they enjoy that team. And they're, pra- they're praising the favorite players on that team because they are the players that they enjoy the most. We praise what we enjoy, and we enjoy what we praise. And there are other teams that they don't like. They're the, the rival teams. And they do not praise those teams because they do not enjoy those teams. Now, here's the reality of this. Anytime, this is a silly, simple example, like a football team. Right, but any time that you are praising something like a football team, right? When you when you find your praise and your enjoyment in that team, what happens when that team loses? This team that you've praised, this team that you have you've said is the best and the greatest, the team that you've cheered for, and the team that you've worshipped, and the team that you've spurred on vocally by yelling and painting your body whatever color it is, right? What happens when they lose? You lose. You lose all your joy because you have praised something that is not worthy of praise. Suddenly, in their loss, they have lost their worthiness. We do not praise that which loses. We do not. It's not in our nature, it's not who we are. And when 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 that which we praise loses, when it fails us, whether it is money or success or fame or a football team whether it is beauty, all the fleeting things of life, when it fails, and it will fail, you have lost your joy. But what if you could praise something or someone that never loses? What if you could praise someone who always wins, who is indestructible, who cannot be thwarted, What if you could praise that one? Well then, you would find the source of infinite and indestructible joy. This is what I'm trying to get you to see in this first point. As we praise that which is most praiseworthy, as we give glory to that which is most glorious, we find infinite joy. It is the source of infinite joy. It is what we were created for. We must become a people who find our joy in God. Joy is, it is, it's required. You must enjoy God in order to praise God. And as you praise Him, you will, you will undoubtedly enjoy Him. The psalmist in Psalms 37 verse 4 says this, he says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. As you delight yourself in Him, as you enjoy Him, He gives you the desires of your heart. As you find your joy in Him, He gives you the desires of your heart. And so often this verse is twisted and it's, it's kind of manipulated to say, man, as you actually find your joy and your delight in God, He's going to give you the things that your heart desires, right? He's going to, he's going to give you that promotion at work. He's going to give You that that new job. He's going to give You that marriage. He's going to give You that that family. He's going to give You that house. He's going to give You that new toy. He's going to give You those things. But that's not at all He's saying. Because what is the desire of Your heart? If not, what You were created for, it's Him. It's Him. He's the desire of Your heart. And all these things that we're pursuing and all these things that we're chasing and all these things that we're trying to find our joy in, and Satan is saying, you can find joy in a myriad of things. All of them are pursuit of what we were intended to be and what we were intended to do, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. He is worthy of all praise and he is the source of infinite joy. And only those who find him And enjoy Him will praise Him. And only those who praise Him will enjoy Him. Miserable people suppress the praise of God. They suppress the praise of God. But people who flourish constantly pour forth His praise. And they find in it the source of infinite joy. Now, some of you might say, but Josh, no, 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 listen. David is praising God because of his circumstance. God has rescued him. God has freed him, right? Yes, God did it, but God stepped in and engaged and saved David. That's why he's joyful, right? And that's not me. It's not my story. I just lost my job. I just lost my marriage. I, I don't have these things. I don't have anything to be joyful about. Friend, if that's true... If that's really what you believe, if that's where your mind goes in this moment, then you do not know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. Because yes, David was saved from a wicked king. But through Jesus, God has saved you and saved me from a tyrannical prince, prince of the power of the air. We call him Satan. Yes, David was saved from a sure death before that king. But through Jesus, you and I, we've been saved from sin and death, and eternal death, from a greater death. And so if you've been saved from a far worse king, if you've been redeemed from a far worse death, how much more, how much more praise should be on your lips than David? How much more joy should be in your heart and your soul than David? We have in Christ the source of infinite joy and the source of infinite praise. We have so much much more to be thankful for than David ever had. So much more to delight in than David ever had. So much more glory to give than David ever even knew. We must become a people of constant and continual praise in order to become a people who know what we are actually made for and live lives that we are created and intended to live. You were created for praise, and you were created for joy, to find joy in the praise of your God. Second is this, only true praise brings true Gladness. Only true praise brings true gladness. Right, David says in verse 2, he says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Right? My soul makes its boast in the Lord. What does that mean? My soul makes its boast in the Lord. What David is saying is: at the core of who I am, in the deepest parts of my being, right, my mind, my body, my strength, my soul, right? My soul makes its boast in the Lord. This is not a superficial praise. This is the real, this is the genuine. I am genuinely praising God above all other things. My soul finds its boast in the Lord. We sang earlier, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no powers, no pleasure, but I will boast in Jesus Christ. Boast in Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. David says, My soul genuinely boasts. Not just my lips, not just my hands, not just my will, but my soul is making this boast. And that's the only way that you're ever going to actually find this joy that David finds, right? So many people, right, spend their lives trying to kind of make this boast in in a false way, not a real way. They do it through their hands, right? It's called religion, right, where we're constantly saying, man, I attend church more than anybody else. I sing louder than anybody else. I do more than anybody else. I serve more than anybody else. I give more than anybody else. I am, I'm doing all these things because God is good. That really, your boast is in yourself. This is why so many of our neighbors and friends and maybe even people in this room have, seemingly have everything together and are doing all the right things, but they're miserable because their soul is not making its boast in that which is most glorious. And therefore, they cannot find joy and delight and what is most joyful and what is most delightful. Can't do it. Can't do it. The soul is required in this. I love how um, Dallas Willard in the Renovation of the Heart uh, writes about the soul. He says, Our soul is like a stream of water which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of a life When that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all that we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God, right? There's that posture of humility. God is big and I am not and my soul knows it. And His kingdom, including nature and all else within us, is enlivened, and directed by that stream, right? Our soul is like a stream of water that is giving life to all the other areas of my life. All the other things in my life are are, are dictated. How I feel about each one of these things is dictated about the health of my soul. And when that that water is good and life-giving water, when it's fresh water, when it's living water, all the other areas of my life are, are right and good, and nothing can destroy that. No other circumstance can destroy that. No other circumstance can destroy that. If the king, the Philistine king, walks into the cave right now, verse 3, Psalm 34, and takes David's life and kills all of his friends and family, he cannot kill his joy. He cannot rob his joy. He cannot do it because his soul His soul is making its boast in the Lord. His soul is tapped into the streams of living water. It's rooted in the vine, which is Christ. I am the vine and you are the branches. When the soul is in its right place, when the soul is healthy, everything else in life is right and good. When it's making its boast in the Lord, when when it's found in the vastness of God and of his kingdom, the soul is right. But when the soul is not right... When the soul is filled with boast, my own selfish boast, when I'm boasting in all of my things and I'm not rooted in the vine, and, right, and, and I'm not boasting in Christ, when I'm separated from God, right, it's withering and dying and in no external circumstance, no amount of money, no amount of fame, no amount of success, no amount of fortune. None of it can change my soul. None of it can actually give life. Our soul must find its boast in the Lord. It must be real and it must be genuine. Our souls are formed by God for the glory of God. And when our souls makes its boast in Him, it is healthy. And when we fail to make our boast in Him, we are unhealthy. Self-glorification robs us of joy and brings destruction to our lives. But when we model our lives after Jesus, and we build habits that form us into His image, into the image of God, into the image of Christ, God glorifying habits, habits of self-denial. We take up our cross and we follow him, we save our souls, which is what Jesus teaches us. What does it gain a man? If he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul, he might have all the wealth and all the fame and all the fortune, but your soul will shrivel without. Christ. We need habits of soul care, habits of soul care that create a more authentic and more real praise, which leads to real joy. Lastly, true worshipers invite others to truly worship. True worshipers invite others to truly worship, right? David, in this cave, he says in in verse 3, he says. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Right? He invites his friends, he invites his family into this cave. He says, man, let's magnify the Lord together. Let's exalt his name together. Magnify the Lord with me. I do not want you, my friends, to spend another second of your life Giving glory to anything that is less glorious. Because when you do, you're not finding what is most joyful. You will not find infinite joy in those less glorious things. You'll just find fleeting joy. I want your soul to make its boast in the Lord. I want you to come and magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt His name together. Right? We share the things that we boast in. We share the things that we praise. We share the things that we enjoy. These are, this is this, again, it's a natural outpouring of who we are. When you find that perfect restaurant and you, you eat that food and you, you praise it, you say, this is amazing. Whoever cooked this is amazing. And you invite your friends. You say, man, this is where you gotta go. We share that which we praise and that which we enjoy. We want others to participate in it. And I believe that when you find that which is most glorious and that which is most enjoyable, you will share it every day until the day you die as much as you possibly can. And so as we seek to be a community that are living lives and growing as people who are, have flourishing relationships with Jesus, a natural outcome of that is that we would be people who lead others into flourishing relationships with Jesus. That as our soul makes us boast of the Lord, we would be a people who say, "Man, come and magnify the Lord with me." You've got to come, taste and see that the Lord is good. You've got to experience this. This is there's nothing like it. There's there's no other drug. There's no other way of life. There's no form of wealth. There's no there's nothing like this. Come, taste and see. So we must be a people who bend every area of our lives into praise. Every square inch. As God permeates every square inch of our lives, his praise pours forth from every square inch. And by nature, we find ultimate enjoyment in every square inch of life. And so a simple question that we can ask is this, what corner of your life are you most lacking in joy? What corner of your life are you most lacking in joy? Think about it for a moment. What part of your life is causing you the most frustration, the most sorrow, the most pain? Which area? What, what is it? Pull back the layers and do some self-examination. Why? Why is it that area? I believe that the psalmist has already given us the answer. Because that is the area of your life that is lacking the most praise. It's the area of your life where your soul has found its boast in something else other than Jesus. And you cannot find joy apart from that. You can't. Because you weren't created to. You're created to enjoy Him, to, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever in every single area of your life. Second question is this. right? We must be a people who invite others to come and experience a lifestyle of praise. We must do this in community. And so who are you? Or sorry, the question is this. How? Like, how do we do that? How are we a people who are developing a lifestyle of praise and inviting others into that? And that is ultimately, that is the goal of flourishing grace. That is why we exist. We want to lead people into flourishing relationships with Jesus because we believe that people who have flourishing relationships with Jesus are so consumed with Christ that they can't help but lead other people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. We've seen it again and again and again and again. When your life is consumed by Christ, every square inch is filled with praise. You don't want your friends and your family to live another second apart from that. I think of all the days of my life that I've squandered praising things that are less praiseworthy and enjoying things that are so less enjoyable. And I don't, I don't want my family to, to do that. I have two little boys. I don't, I don't want them to spend their lives thinking that there's something else that's going to give them greater joy. I, I don't want to, them to spend their lives praising lesser things. I want them to praise that which is most praiseworthy, glorify that which is most glorious, and enjoy that which is most enjoyful from, from a young age. And as they move through life and as life tempts them to go one way or the other, they're fixed and they know what is most enjoyable. And everything else is lesser to them. When people say, man, this is amazing, they, they go over and they look at it and say, That's not amazing. This is amazing. He is amazing. No, 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 but but this thing over here, this is amazing. That's not amazing. Let me show you. He is amazing. I want my boys from a young age to understand that and to know that. It's the only thing that's going to keep them from falling into the same traps that I fell into, thinking that other things are going to give me more joy. How do we do this? How do we do this? In order for us to be a people who are living and flourishing relationships with Jesus and leading others into flourishing relationships with Jesus, something has to change. And here's where I want to kind of shift gears for the rest of our time a little bit um, and kind of talk about flourishing grace. As I said at the very beginning of this, maybe you came in late. If you, if you did, I said we're going to spend half of our time, a little bit more than half our time on the text And then we're going to kind of get into some kind of behind-the-scenes stuff here at Flourishing Grace. If you're brand new, you came in for the first time this morning, this is weird for you. Okay, this is different. We don't normally do this. Um, However, I hope, if you are a follower of Jesus, I hope that this is kind of of exciting for you. It's exciting for me. I'm excited to talk about what we're getting ready to talk about. We we need to make some changes. Man, we want people to have a flourishing—I want you to have a flourishing relationship with Jesus. I want you to help me have a flourishing relationship with Jesus. And I want to see the outcome of that spill out into the streets of South Davis County for years to come. Something's got to change. See, Flourishing Grace has a complicated history, not a bad history, but a complicated one, right? We, we come from a church that, that kind of folded into another church and then was kind of spun off into this church, Flourishing Grace Church, right? Um, and so we've inherited a lot of the things from those past churches, a lot of good things, a lot of amazing things. One of the things that we inherited is a ministry that we call small groups, and small groups are these communities that meet in each other's homes. They study the Bible together. Uh, they you, you sometimes, sometimes share a meal together. Uh, it's a place where I mean, knowledge of the Bible is increased. It's a place where kind of community within the saints, within the church is increased, right? Small groups was really created like in the, in the late 80s. It's actually a relatively new phenomenon. It was created to say, man, how do we get, get rid of Sunday school? Right? Sunday school is this like this classroom kind of lecture hall way. How, how do we actually do this in, in groups, in smaller groups, to study the Bible in smaller groups? And how do how do we build community? Because as the church grew, it kind of ended this kind of you guys don't care. As it grew, it kind of into this mega church model, right? Was a, we can't pack everybody into a lecture hall and do and do these uh, Sunday school things, right? We need smaller groups where this can happen in people's homes, and people can get connected. This is a good thing. It's a good thing. But true formation, true formation, becoming like Jesus, is about who you are in Christ and who you are becoming in Christ. Small groups are about what you know and who you know. We want to see true formation happen. And for the most part, small groups are not doing that. They, They have done that. There's been times and seasons, even here at Flourishing Grace, where we've seen that happen in small groups. But it's not the default it's not helping us, I believe, most effectively accomplish our mission. It's not actually creating transformation. It's not actually creating formation and transformation. It's not, it's not doing the work of evangelism and discipleship. I think we can do better. I think we have to do better. I think we have to do better. And so I'm excited for where we're kind of going with all of this. What we've done is we've got, we're kind of, kind, of on the, kind of on the edge of this. We're creating two brand new ministries that are going to kind of replace the one. All right, the two brand new ministries that we're creating, one is called Path Groups and the other is called Communities. Path groups you've probably heard about over the past few weeks. We kind, of, we kind of launched some path groups, kind of beta tested this thing. We launched some path groups. Uh, kind of late spring, early summer, back in May, we launched some path groups. Um, and we've been kind of tracking this as we've gone. And we've been learning from some of the things that we did well. We've been learning from some of the things we didn't do well. And we've revamped all of it. And so at the end of this month, on September 28th, this is Tuesday night, Tuesday we're launching a four-week course for path groups. For everybody at Flourishing Grace, everybody who's in an existing path group, everybody who wants to be in a path group, everybody who wants their path group to be healthier, right? We're launching a four-week course that's going to kind of unpack the idea conceptually of spiritual formation and say, hey, let's, let's get to work together. We need to be a people who, who, to desire to have Christ reign and rule over every, every square inch of our life. That's only going to happen as we form these kind of microgroups. So path groups are these microgroups, two to four men or two to four women who are engaged in deep accountability, deep formation, saying what are the areas of, of our lives that need Jesus to sit on the throne? Let's pull back the layers. Let's let's expose the sin. Let's get that out of there. Let's put off the old and let's put on the new. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Let's let's encourage each other to that end and help each other to that end. That's what path groups are. Path groups are for people who say, man, I want a flourishing relationship with Jesus. It's not an overnight thing. It's not going to happen in a day or a week or a month or even a year and I believe that path groups are our best shot at true formation who you are and who you're becoming in Christ becoming more and more and more like him path groups are going to help us in that endeavor so September 28th four week course path groups you can learn all about it flourishinggrace.org slash path flourishinggrace.org path you can read all about that you can sign up for that course on our events page flourishinggrace.org events you can read about that there and sign up for it today get plugged in Path groups, September 28th. The second one I said is communities. Now, communities are completely different than path groups. They, they really are, right? And communities are more about evangelism. They're more about and in building intentional engagement with those who do not know Jesus. They create easy opportunities for you to invite your one to engage in the life of the church, right here at Flourishing Grace, we, we, we talk about praying for one. We have one person in our life. We've written their name on this wall. We said, going I pray for this. I'm committing to pray for this person every single day. And this person lives here. They're present. We see them at least once a month. They're a neighbor. They're a friend. They're a coworker. There's somebody you go to the gym with. There's somebody that you see that you grab Starbucks with. There's somebody that you have over for dinner at your house. This is a person that you know that you are engaging in their life, but they don't know Jesus yet. They don't know Jesus yet. So, how are we creating opportunities for them to engage in a real way? The truth is, right, small groups were not effective at this. They were not, nobody was inviting their one to small group, and their one was saying, Men, look at these, look at the look at these people who have been, who are, who are living in these deep, flourishing relationships with Jesus. That's what I want. That's what I want. I'm gonna give my life to that. But we believe that as these path groups produce, produce deeper and deeper levels of flourishing, and as those path groups form communities that are inviting people who don't know Jesus into them, maybe, just maybe, we'll see people say, that's different, and that's beautiful, and I want a flourishing relationship with Jesus. And we'd actually begin to lead people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. So path groups have been broken up Geographically, right now we're just starting with three groups. Uh, So we have one group that's kind of mainly focused on Farmington North, we have one group that's focused on Bountiful Centerville. West Bountiful, you can you can jump in there. Um, and then we have one that's th- kind of focusing on North Salt Lake and Woods Cross. So kind of hitting this kind of South Davis County region together. Now, which one should you participate in? Or first of all, what are they doing? Every single month, each one of these groups is creating. There's a leadership team for each group, and they're creating, fostering events. Um, where, where you can invite and engage your one or a, any neighbor, a friend, a coworker that doesn't know Jesus. Say, hey, hey, you want to come to this thing together? So the, the Farmington North one, this, this week, this week, um, they, they're attending the Bountiful Farmer's Market. I know it's, Farmington North is coming to Bountiful because Bountiful is better, right? It's just what it is. Um, the Farmington North um, is coming down to Bountiful and they're going to participate in the, in, the, in the Bountiful Farmer's Market. And they're saying, man, let's invite our friends, let's invite our neighbors to come and participate in this. Uh, Battleful Centerville is, um, this month, they're, they're hosting a backyard movie and game night, right? It's like the perfect temperature, it's the perfect weather. Grab your blankets, let's go watch a movie um, in, in the backyard together. North Salt Lake in, in Woods Cross is hosting kind of a food truck rally in Legacy Park over in North Salt Lake this month. Kind of come out and eat some, eat some delicious food, let the kids play in the playground, and have a good a good time. But again, who's your one? Who's the person you're going to invite? So which one should you go to? Should you go to Farmington because you live in Farmington? Should you go to North Salt Lake because you live in North Salt Lake? Here's, here's the answer to the question. Which one is your one going to go to? Where does your one live? What event what are they most likely to participate in? Right? Are they into farmers markets? Are they into movies? Are they into food? There you go. Which one? Which one are they most likely to come to? that's where you participate, that's where you lean in, that's where you engage. Where do they live? What community is going to be most beneficial for them? That's where we lean in. That's where we engage. That's the point. That's the hope of all of this. It's why we're doing this. So that your friends might see what it looks like to have a flourishing relationship with Jesus. And they might say, I want that. And the hope is that this wouldn't just be limited to once a month, but that you would begin to form community on your own with that person, that your path group would begin to engage in their ones on a regular basis, a far more regular basis. Lastly, I want to talk specifically to our partners in the room, th- those who have gone through the partnership class, your partner here at Flourishing Grace. We're asking all of our partners to partner with one of these community groups, to, to be a community group partner, to say, man, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be kind of at the core of this thing, I'm going to roll my sleeves, and I'm going to make sure this thing stays healthy. I'm going to make sure that I'm inviting my friends that don't know Jesus. I'm going to make sure that I'm looking out for pe- other people who have invited their friends who don't know Jesus, right, so that I can engage in a healthy and a meaningful way with them. And so you can sign up as a partner. Again, flourishinggrace.org communities. You can sign up as a partner to say, man, I'm going to partner with this community for the sake of its health, for the sake of its growth, to make sure that it's meaningful and purposeful. Does that make sense, path groups, community groups, and, and why we're doing that, why we think that's going to help us lead people into flourishing relationships with Jesus a little bit better than small groups. Does that make sense? No? Okay. We're out of time, but I can start over. Um, um, for most of us, I hope, this is exciting. You're like, dude, this is amazing. Like, this is, we get to have fun together every single month. We get to have meaningful, deep, relational transformation. Like, this is amazing. I know for some of you, you're like, man, this is hard because I love my small group. But I, I hope that as you kind of participate in this, you're going to see this is actually way better. Like, I'm, I'm not losing something. I'm gaining something. In the same way, for for those of us who say, man, I enjoyed this. This is where I find my enjoyment. This is where I find my meaning. And this is where I find my purpose. When you put that thing to death and you find your purpose and your meaning and your joy in that which is most meaningful and that which is most joyous, you realize, man, I was missing out on something better the entire time. And I hope that's in the same way this is true, that these two things, Path Groups and Community Groups, help us be a people who live deeper levels, deeper flourishing relationships with Jesus. And they help us be a people who lead others into flourishing relationships with Jesus as well. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Jesus would come before you in this, in this moment, kind of that is that is a big moment for us as a church. There's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of changing pieces, a lot, a lot that needs to be communicated, a lot that needs to be understood, that we're praying to be understood. I pray that you would you would bring clarity to your church. And you would unite your church in, in a vision. You would unite your church in a meaning. You'd unite your church in purpose. That would, there would be excitement. That we couldn't that we couldn't wait to form a path group. We couldn't wait to, to begin to walk this path of discipleship and formation. As We, we long to, to know you more and to be formed by you. I can't wait to have an event that I can bring my neighbor to. It's going to be good and executed well just for them, just for them. So would you fill us with delight? Would you fill us with wonder? Would you fill us with meaning? Would you fill us with purpose? But more than anything, would you fill us with yourself? Would you give us the desire of our heart? So help us to enjoy you today. And the little things, the warmth of the sun, the laughter of our children. Help us to look at our lives and to say, man, where, where am I not finding my joy and my delight in you? to wrestle with praise and create habits of praise in our lives. The first thing in our mouth would be the praise of our King. When something goes well, it's the praise of our King. When something is hard, we look and say, how can I praise my King in the midst of this difficult circumstance? transform us into a people of praise and a people of joy. Praise things in Jesus' name.